Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Talks and Tastings Studios, this is the Clerical Errors Podcast. The show that shows you what's behind the collar. I'm Bullhagen. I'm Berg. And Peter's here. Hey, Pete. Man, it feels like it's been forever since we've done this, man. It has. How many weeks now? I don't think... I don't think we've done a show together since I've been back from Florida, have we? I don't think so. So, just, yeah. Like two just ships pa- passing yeah, in, in the, the night. night. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. So, obviously, we haven't lost our uh, wavelength, so, you know. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, man, I miss you. It's not, it's not the same without you. Well, it sounds like a lot of things have changed. Peter is uh, in a new place. and mm-hmm. That's right. And you got some coffee there? I do. I do. I uh, I made some this morning. It was, it's all right. So, I'm having my standard uh, uh, Aldi sparkling water. So rock on, get that going here. So is that still the same? Are you not improving with your? Ah, uh, eh, it's still the same. Yeah, it's all good. Still eating the Martian diet. That's right. Potatoes. And if you don't know what we're talking about. Go back and listen to that episode. That was almost exactly a year from today. Was it? Yeah. Ah, That's awesome. And uh, today is, uh, we're celebrating something very special today. Are we? Yes. Eight years ago, what happened? What happened eight years ago? Well, it was the day that I was uh, ordained and installed uh, as a pastor in Evangelical Lutheran Church at St. Paul's... Lutheran Church in Latimer, Iowa. You know, I was going to look to see if I still had that service. Yeah. And uh, I didn't have time. I might still have that somewhere on one of my hard drives. Because I, I, I have it still in my uh, in the uh, the nice case you gave me for that. So Okay. Um, so uh, f- because I did the, as a circuit visitor, the, the service folder for that. Right. So... And I go out for those, make it color, do some explanations in it. Mm-hmm. So, but yes, eight years ago today, I brought you a gift in honor. Oh, you did? Oh my gosh. Yes, yes. So this is, by the way, this is going to be the ordination episode. Nice. So uh, I, I uh, got you this present here. I've been wanting to get you, give you. Um, so uh, here it is. Okay. You want to open that up? Uh, I especially want to. I especially want to, you know, admire the wrapping because it's in a plastic, like neon green. Wouldn't you say, Peter? Kind of a neon green bag. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know. So rock on. All right. Car Carabongo, from Naples, Florida. Oh man! It says. Uh, Live in the dream, Naples, Florida. It's got a, <laughs> <laughs> it's got a turtle sitting on a on a chair with a drink in his hand and a parrot on his shoulder. No, thank you. This is awesome. The thing is, you can't actually see all that it does because it's one of those shirts that changes colors in the sunlight. It does. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. So you, when you go out in the sun with it, all of a sudden, all these colors will start popping out of it. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. So not only did I think of you of how you sparkle, Berg, <laughs> and, and brighten my day. Well, I, I had to learn that from you because you were born to sparkle. So <laughs> no, thank you. 
Because, I mean, you have to have at some point a living the dream t-shirt, don't you think? You know, I'm starting, my t-shirts are getting a little worn and faded, so this is a nice addition to the collection. So (laughs) I think my wife is eyeing a few of my shirts that probably need to be chucked, and I'm actually wearing one of them right now. So (laughs) One of those where, you know what, I haven't seen that shirt in a few months. I wonder where it went. Boy, I would be like, I I don't, I haven't seen this shirt in like three days. Where is it? (laughs) You know, you get in the habit of wearing, you know, like the same five, six shirts. Yeah. You know? I've I've got like my lounging shirt, which is um, uh, a particular brand, the J.C. Penny Stafford um, mixed blend T-shirt. Nice that I've been wearing. How long? Probably ever since you could remember, Peter. Right? I would say so. Because they're they're nice and soft. They wash well. They're form fitting. How many do you go through in a day? Uh, probably two. Hmm. It depends upon whether it's winter or summer. Summer, I go through a lot less shirts. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> no, thank you very much. I uh, I appreciate it. So, well, you see a T-shirt that says "Living the Dream." It's kind of my catchphrase, right? So, so if you ever do a spinoff podcast, it can be entitled "Living the Dream." Mm-hmm. So, in Just- honor. I would actually listen to that. Just Berg talking about what uh, what he read this week. Just living the dream. Yeah, it would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, we've done Bert's world. We should do a Berg's world. What your utopia would look like. I, You know, I've given it some thought. Have you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll hold that thought because that could be a whole new episode. Indeed. Um, so in honor of that, we're going to do a few things. Uh, um. We're going to uh, go through the actual ordination vows um, and, and what they mean. And, uh, and we also have a top 12 list um, for us to go to through as well. Um, we talk a lot about, uh, you know, if you're struggling with something, to go talk to your pastor. And uh, what I have a top 12 list is how to do that. What are some things you can do? Because a lot of people... Um, are afraid to talk to their pastor, or especially if there's something that's... This is in terms of um, maybe you don't understand th- something, mm-hmm. or there might be even some sort of a little bit of a conflict of heart that you have that uh, you, you want to talk about with your pastor. So how to do that? Because it's not a, an easy thing to do, I know. And so if we're going to tell you, hey, if you're struggling with something, talk to your pastor, well, then we should help walk you through and what some thing, What are some things that you can do as you prepare to do that? So, so Berg, let's uh, talk about our text first. Yeah, and the text actually really pairs well with uh, the theme of this show, ordination, uh, in, in not a completely direct way, but in a semi-indirect way, especially in the Old Testament lesson. Uh, the Gospel for Trinity 10 is Luke 19, 41 through 48. Now, as Jesus drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they shall not leave in you one stone upon the other, because you did not know the time of your visitation." 
Then he went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, It is written, My house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And he was teaching daily in the temple. But the chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him and were unable to do anything, for all the people were very attentive to hear him. We're kind of at the, the judgment stage a little bit of the lectionary, aren't we? Yeah, I would say so. Because we've we've talked about false teachers, right? Recently, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, the interesting one about unrighteous wealth last Sunday, mm-hmm. which happens to be my very favorite parable. Not, <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, but then you know we have then here the judgment. You know what's interesting? You tell me what you think about it. You know, on Palm Sunday. Uh, the Jesus triumphant entry, um, and uh, the Pharisees tell, uh, you know, uh, that the people need to be quiet. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what Jesus says? That uh, that uh, if these people were quiet, that even the stones themselves would cry out. Right. And uh, you know, some I wonder if that that may there may be a tie here because in a sense, the stones cry out. Yeah, you know, because I, I, I wonder if that's actually a judgment. If if they're quiet, the stones will cry out. Mm-hmm. It's because that cry out is more of a not a praise. It's more of a ah. Yeah, I mean, God comes right, and mm-hmm. what they say is Hosanna, and at this point, Hosanna has kind of uh, evolved as a word uh, from its original meaning. Hosanna originally meant save us. Mm-hmm. But now it's become this uh, kind of ejaculation of praise and, uh, you know, like whoopee. Right. Um, which is interesting, I think, because I think it also you also see kind of this judgment going on that the people still don't get who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. And even though they're using the right words, it doesn't penetrate to the heart. Mm-hmm. Which is why then Jesus leaves and he begins to weep over Jerusalem. You know, he knows that they don't get it, that they are not, that they do not recognize the time of their visitation, that God himself has come to visit them and to save them and redeem them, and they're not just going to reject him, but they are actually going to be the means and the driving force behind his, his death, his destruction. And the words that Jesus say here, too, one way that's, as we talk about the ordination uh, episode here, and that is that is sometimes the lament of a pastor, mm-hmm. in the sense of you. This we know what's going what brings peace, right? And you don't know peace. You actually reject peace. And uh, you know we have especially now when there's so much confusion just generally in the world. You know, people don't have peace. No, really. or the peace that they want is not really peace at all. And that, that's what's so sad, especially mm-hmm. think about the coronavirus and all of that's going on and p- political f- arguments and, and all, that, that, all of that. You know, vaccinations, they don't give you peace. Masks don't give you peace. No. You know, what actually brings about peace? True peace. Well, recognizing Christ. Yes, and his visitation that he came to do what he said he would. 
Another thing here that I think is interesting and actually should terrify everybody is that what the Jews are doing in this, you know, today in this text, mm-hmm. the judgment that Jesus calls on them isn't going to happen for another 40 years. But it's like it's already written. Right. Like it is coming to pass. Yeah. That uh, in AD About- 70, Titus uh, and Vespasian are going to march on Jerusalem. They are going to uh, burn the city to the ground. Uh, they're going to tear a stone off of stone. Um, there's going to be great pain and suffering. And, like, it's done. Like, the way Jesus is talking about it's almost as if this is already happening. Right. And, and yet, it's 40 years in the future. And so, you know, it kind of makes me wonder, too, that... Um, are we kind of like he was watching an accident, a car accident, in slow motion, you know? Yeah, and, and, I, it, and uh, I wonder, like, sometimes, okay, Are we start starting to skid? <laughs> yeah, or have we already skidded? Right. Did we skid... 20, 30, 40 years ago, and we're just hitting, you know, just hitting the uh, the fence now. Mm-hmm. You know, because that's the thing. Uh, we look at God's judgment and his mercy uh, and how they work out in history. And God restrains his judgment for a long time, like we see in the Old Testament. And sometimes I wonder, too, if, you know, we ourselves aren't, you know, and I, I don't wonder, I, I kind of know. I mean, we are under judgment. Uh, partially, be- and, you know, this should also make us think about our ministry, too, because what the Pharisees did during Jesus' lifetime eventually destroys their children and their grandchildren because they rejected the chief shepherd of their souls. They're the pastor of pastors, uh, it leads to their to their children and their grandchildren's earthly destruction. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that 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 is the law in this in this thing, right? That that should actually terrify us. That the stuff that we can that we do today, uh, it's not simply done, but it actually works itself out in history. You know, and we see this with congregations too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they're still dealing with things that happened forty, fifty years ago. So. Um, but on, on the gospel side of it, though, is how how wonderful it is that these words are written for us because the person sitting in the pew are hearing that day. You know what makes for peace. What you know what I think the gospel is in all this. What people don't think the gospel is. So <laughs> the next part, right? When Jesus goes into the temple and he cleanses the temple, you know, people think, oh. Yeah, how many of them would actually want a pastor that does that? <laughs> I mean, really? Right. Right. I mean, <laughs> taking uh, like the quilts and like throwing them on the front lawn. <laughs> right. Take or uh, or you know, saying, "Look, you are actually uh, not acting according to the scriptures." Right. Um, people today would. <laughs> how long would a pastor, you know, be at a place? <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet, this is the gospel because what is Jesus doing? Why is he preaching such stern law to them? Because he loves them. Because he loves them and he wants them to be saved, right? That in and of itself is the gospel that Jesus just doesn't throw up his hands and say, well, it's all going to heck anyway. I'm not going to polish the brass on the Titanic. No, he goes back to work. He goes back to work. He preaches what needs to be preached. Mm-hmm. And it says here, too, that he was teaching daily in the temple, right? That's what a pastor does. A pastor 
preaches the law. And sometimes that law is very, very sharp. It's very, very incisive, and it hurts a lot. But it's all done so that way people will repent and be saved and listen attentively uh, to the teaching of eternal life. And that's what we see, right? We see that with the people who listen to Jesus attentively. I was talking to to someone I know I kind of go way back from, um, and uh, it was uh, not a pastor, but a church member who said this of his pastor. He said, you know, I remember my pastor preaching a couple of sermons that made me really mad. Mm-hmm. They made me really mad. And he goes, and uh, I was mad at him. But then as the years went by, I realized that he was right. And the reason I was mad was because of my own guilt and conscience. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, I can't remember who said this, but, you know, if you throw a stick into a pack of dogs, the one whom it hits howls the loudest, right? And that's the thing, is that that's what we want. You know, mm-hmm. if the sermon doesn't move you in the slightest, there's probably something wrong. If you don't feel just even a little bit uncomfortable... There's, there's probably, like, either the pastor is not doing his job uh, or, or you know, there's something seriously wrong. And this then relates us to our Old Testament text, uh, Jeremiah 8, 4 through 12, where, you know, the problem there is that no one repents. And, Jeremiah, and God, through Jeremiah, uses all of these very um, timely examples. Like, if a dude falls down, he gets back up right? Mm-hmm. When my son falls down, he gets back up. It would be really, really weird if someone fell down and didn't get back up. Right. Right? That would be crazy. Even even the like in the Olympics, when a hurdler falls down, right. even if they're injured, they, they, they like, they're like, I got to finish this race. Yeah. I, you get back up, you get back on the horse, and you do it. Uh, and then it gets even crazier because it says here, even the stork in the heavens knows her appointed times, and the turtle dove and the swift and the swallow observe the time of their coming, right? Birds who are irrational know when to leave in the wintertime and know when to come back in the mm-hmm. summer, right? So even the irrational birds are smarter than God's people. And this is all about repenting, right? Turning away from your sin, being sorry for your sins, uh, receiving the forgiveness of sins, and then the fruit of repentance is trying to, you know, amend your life, live a new life, right? Mm-hmm. And Jeremiah is just, like, beside himself. And so, I mean, it's, this could have just as well been written today for how powerful it is. And why is that? Why do people not repent? Well, we see it in verse 11, right, with false preachers. For they have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. False comfort. False comfort. You know, oh, we love this guy because he only preaches the gospel. That means he's a false teacher. Mm-hmm. If you preach the gospel without preaching the law, then you are using the gospel as a pillow for the godless. Then that, that, that part of that, too, is um, the listener to be listening for the law, the, not, not for right. themselves. To take, because there are times I've noticed where. I preach the law strong, and I preach the gospel strong, mm-hmm. and uh, they didn't. Re- they only heard the gospel part. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, look, guys, this is your hurt. Sin wounds you. 
and we got to clean it out. Mm-hmm. You got to clean it out or it's going to get infected. And there's going to be gangrene and there's going to be, um, oh, what's the, where your whole system gets uh, sepsis, mm-hmm. right? If these, and that is the problem with false preachers. If you don't get to the heart of the matter, if you don't actually clean out the wound and bind it up tight, uh, if you just say, well, you're baptized, you're, you're fine. Mm-hmm. Right, you're 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 good to go. Or oh, you know, uh, like your favorite hymn, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go now, right? <laughs> Where he throws an extra twenty in the plate <laughs> for everything he did last night and everything he's going to do today, right? Mm-hmm. Wicked, wicked. Oh well, God will accept me the way that I am. No, you are wounded. Is that how the doctor's going to treat you? I hope not, because then that doctor is a quack. Right. Say, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, you know, I'll accept you the way that you are when you're bleeding out on my table and your wounds are, you know, full of pus. No, you go to the doctor because he helps you. You go to the doctor because he cuts that stuff out. Does it hurt? Heck yeah. Mm-hmm. Are you happy when it's all done? Yeah. Well, why should your pastor be any different? So that's the thing. It's uh, um, false preachers really can really destroy a people. Mm-hmm. The Pharisees and the scribes destroyed the people in Jesus' day. The false prophets who, you know, they said the right words, they had the right, you know, doctrinal statements, you know, they weren't worshiping Baal. But what did they do? They said, oh, well, it doesn't really matter that you're sinning, you know. God will protect you anyway. We have the temple, right? Yeah. We, we have the sacrifices. We have the means of grace. We're, we're cool. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, sounds th- familiar. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is, you know, I mean, we've heard a sermon from somebody in our district. You know, everybody gets in. That's how they preach the, the parable of the, uh, of the virgins. Everybody gets in. The only problem with the virgins who stayed outside is that they thought they needed oil to get in. <laughs> yeah. I've heard that from an LCMS pastor in our district. Right, and so what kind of what kind of things does that preaching do to a congregation and to a people over time? Well, it uh, it leads to impenitence, right? And that is Jeremiah's whole point. And so, and to segue in because Peter loves these segues, right? Um, you know, this is why we make such strong vows at ordination. Mm-hmm. This is why we make such strong vows, which we should probably get into, right? How'd you like that transition? Wasn't that beautiful? Well done. Well done. I do what I can. I've uh, been I've been practicing for you. So uh, the, the ordination um, itself, it uh, usually begins uh, with a hymn, and the traditional one is uh, "Come, Holy Ghost," um, mm-hmm. because you're asking, you know, because that's what's going to happen is that the Holy Spirit is going to be uh, imparted on the. Uh, on the one who is ordained uh, for his office, right? The Holy Spirit comes in two ways. Mm -hmm. Uh, He is on the preachers according to their office, uh, but he also works in every Christian uh, to create faith. So that's why we pray for his his coming. And then it it begins with um, the person doing the ordination, which is usually the district president or Mm -hmm. someone who represents him. and the district president is our churchly supervisor. Right. Right. And, and so it begins, Beloved in the Lord, um, 
full name of candidate, so calls him by the name. Mm-hmm. Uh, has been called by the Lord of the Church into the office of the Holy Ministry of Word and Sacraments. Boy, that's a lot of words right there. Right. So when it says, has been called by the Lord of the Church into the office, um, what do we mean by that? Was he was uh, was uh, the man called by Jesus or was he called by the church? And the answer, Peter, is both. There we go. Yeah. How is that possible? Um, the easiest thing for I for me to help remember this is and to t- explain it to people is is uh, when you pray before you eat, you're thanking God for the food that He placed on your table. Mm-hmm. Right. So when you thank God for placing the food upon your table, did he just did it just fall out of the sky and land on your table? It does if you watch that movie uh Cloudy with a side of meatballs or whatever. That's true. Yeah. Um But but typically no. No. There are certain means by which he places the food on the table. And so are you one of those means? Yeah, I I actually do a lot of cooking. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask whether, you know, you you were kind of the main cook in your house or I w- I want to say no. <laughs> <laughs> Peter knows. It's funny because you know, as a lot of uh I do see this generational shift where actually a lot of uh men are kind of the primary cooks in their house, really. I'm just I'm just fast and efficient at it. Mhm. You know, I can come home and whip up a meal in 25 minutes. Yeah. And I, I, and I like to go to see what I, what it is, is too. I like going to the grocery store because we have one so close. Right. About uh, 4.30, yeah, what's for dinner? And nice. I'll, and I'll, you know, just take the two-minute drive over to the grocery store, kind of. We had ham hocks. Uh, Glorianne made ham, ham hocks yesterday. So mm. uh, three different types. So they were actually really, really good. I don't know if I've ever had ham hocks. So... You know, that's pretty rad. But getting back to our point, right, this, to use kind of more theological language, we would say that God is the efficient cause. Mm-hmm. He's the one doing the stuff. So he'd be like the uh, the painter painting. He'd be like the carpenter who's building mm-hmm. the house. And the congregation is an instrument. We would call them the instrumental cause. Mm-hmm. So they would be like the hammer or the paintbrush. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that is how kind of these things work together. And, and so, God, when he, they say this, then there needs to be an understanding by both the pastor and the people that it is God not only who has called him and placing, he's also in placing in the church. So God gives you your pastor. Right, and he always does this through the church, uh, at least today. Back in the time of the prophets and the apostles, sometimes God called people immediately. Mm-hmm. He called them directly. So Jeremiah was sitting there, and he appeared, and God appeared and said, hey, you're my prophet. Same thing with Isaiah, for example, um, or St. Paul on the road to Damascus. However, God doesn't call us that way anymore. And that there's a lot of confusion by that. I mean, how many times... Have you asked when did you feel called? <laughs> yeah, I and it's it's not a very good way of thinking because you might feel called to something. Like I could feel called to be a NBA player. Mhm. 
Not going to work? Yeah, let's just be honest. That's not going to work, right? For so many reasons. Although for me, every time, every year the NBA draft comes out, I keep watching for my name, and it hasn't happened yet. I think at my age, it's not going to. Yeah, I, I think you're a little on the uh, upper end there. But, you know, <laughs> so then never. the question is, uh, what was that? Never say never. Never say never. Uh, but the whole thing then is, is, well, was that feeling wrong that you felt called? And then does that mean that God was wrong? Yeah. I, I so, mean, so that's where I like the way that uh, Paul talks about it uh, to, I can't remember if it's Timothy or Titus, but he says the desire to be an overseer or a bishop is good, mm-hmm. right? The desire is a good thing, but you do need these qualifications. And so, because if someone, well, the, the reason why it's important is someone could f- think as though they have that inner call to be a pastor, and if it comes evident that maybe that's not a good idea, it feels to them like, to them, like, you're going to argue with God? <laughs> you know? <laughs> If you really believe that, right, that God, that God calls right. you in this way, and it, it's kind of like you, uh, Lutherans when they're asked, uh, "When were you saved?" It's the same kind of thing. Well, they say, "What do you mean? I was when I was baptized." Mm-hmm. You know, when I was most of the time when I was a baby. You know, when you were, if you were to ask me, "When was I? Did I feel called to be a pastor?" I always just thought I would be a pastor and wanted to be a pastor. Mm-hmm. There's no time that. But, you know, it's interesting, that first year of seminary, you do hear, before they learn more theology, some students saying, oh, yeah, I've, God called me or felt the call. Well, and that's why we need to be very, very careful in the way we talk about it, mm-hmm. because it does lead you down. And if you feel called, this is what a lot of like non-denominational people do. They just start—they go and they start a new church, mm-hmm. right? They go and start a new congregation. And if you look at all of the warnings that God speaks through the prophets, saying— hey, uh, I didn't call them, yet they ran. I didn't give them the words, and yet they started speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, that That's very probable. God is against that. And so this is an ordination dealing with someone then also who has been prepared. God works through the means of that preparation right. as who well. Who has been prepared? Which is, which is it continues on, right. as he says, um, he has been prepared for the ministry by careful study and prayer and has been examined and declared ready and prepared to undertake the sacred responsibility by the guidance of God the Holy Spirit, he has in Christ the church's usual order been called to be a pastor at, you know, in your case, St. Paul Lutheran Church. Um, and so, as it says, called by the Lord, but there, there's some very important words here. For example... The word examined mm-hmm. and declared. That's one responsibility as a vicarage supervisor that I take, Seriously. take to heart. Yeah, yep. because um, as a supervisor, I deal with a lot of issues and a lot of things that you don't see in the seminary. At the seminary, you know, what do you do? You take classes, right? ultimately. You have some social interactions, things like gamut lakait and right. you know, that sort of thing, but yeah, you don't see them on a day-to-day basis basis in their work in the church it is setting. a different it is a different thing i mean Un- unfortunately i mean i wish there was maybe a little more oversight that way that mm-hmm. wasn't just intellectual mm-hmm. um but, but but that's part 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 of the the vicarage 
program that I take seriously of what 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 things do we need to work on and continue to work on. Right. And uh, you know, uh probably one of the the bigger voices in the whole process. Mm-hmm. Cuz no one at the seminary knows a vicar quite like I do. That's true. And then you have your theological examination at the end of your fourth year. Do you mm-hmm. remember yours? Not much, actually. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, because I, because I wanted it to mean something, so mm-hmm. I, I picked the hardest <laughs> professors I could to we're, examine. We're not shocked. So, well, but you know, this has got to mean something. So, 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 which were the hardest ones? Uh, I had Ziegler and I had Professor Coles. Do you remember Professor Coles? He got there after me. Okay. So I don't know much about him. So, but you know, part of this is to like. If these are the things you're gonna have to like, doesn't coal means cabbage, like coleslaw? Yeah, <laughs> could be. I don't know. Roth coal, red cabbage. Yeah, could be. I don't know. He he's a good guy. He's that, a, he's an he's a walking encyclopedia, <laughs> but he's a he's a great guy. That ADHD moment was brought to you by the Clerical Airs podcast. <laughs> but you know, I mean, if if this is what you're gonna look back on, right? Mm-hmm. Especially when times get tough in the parish, uh, like you need to, you need to have that certainty. Like, yeah, I was examined, you know. And and when you you really narrow it down to its clearest form of why there is such a thing as a Missouri Synod, mm-hmm. this is it. Yeah, training the training and calling of pastors. And having a way to make sure that a pastor, any pastor, has been well trained and examined and confessed the faith. Yep, the Senate is there to serve the congregation. And uh, this is why, you know, there could be um, a seated president who is also serving a congregation, because mm-hmm. that was that was what they did. Okay, we got to make sure we have pastors that are qualified, they get to go where they're going. And there was no, they didn't have like subcommittees, blue ribbon committees, you yeah. know, this is what we need to do here, you know. The bureaucracy has gotten out of control and I think oftentimes hinders us to what, what the whole point of what the Senate actually was. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's kind of like in, in some, some districts um, uh, where... Every time there is a, I've experienced this, uh, not in Iowa East, um, where uh, every you go to a meeting, and every time there's some kind of meeting, every district official has to explain, well, this is what I do, and this is what I do. You yeah. know, I facilitate such and such. And you're like, what does that even mean? <laughs> <laughs> you're what we call a middleman. <laughs> so, anyways, I digress. All right, back to the deal. So... Uh, that is a very, very important statement, and it's good for the people to hear, to know mm-hmm. that the person before them has been trained and examined mm-hmm. and found to be trustworthy. That that should give parishioners, I mean, you should at least trust your pastor from those words, at least begin to, because mm-hmm. you hear that trite nonsense, well, you know... They don't trust how much you know until they know how much, you know, or you love them or something kind of, you know, these these district presidents have all this stuff. But honestly, you should eighth commandment this. Like, yeah, your pastor is a stranger at this point. 
But how about you give him the benefit of the doubt? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if he has been trained, if he has been examined, if he's been found trustworthy, then you know, yeah, maybe you should give him a little bit of slack. <laughs> but they don't know about life. <laughs> but they don't know about life. I, I I do remember hearing that when I was a twenty four year old pastor. <laughs> yeah. Um. So then it then it uh, it continues with a prayer. You want me to go through the prayers, or if you if you want to. So there, here's a prayer. Oh God, you once taught the hearts of your faithful people by sending them the light of your Holy Spirit. Grant us in our day by the same Spirit to have a right understanding in all things, and evermore to rejoice in His holy consolation. So, so there it uh, once again a prayer of the asking for the, the coming of Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we get uh, the section where if you've ever been to an ordination, where um, the pastors read passages about. Uh, so you, if you have ten pastors there, they just kind of go one by one, one on the institution of the holy ministry, one section on the responsibilities of the office of the holy ministry, and the and the third section, the strength and promise of the holy ministry. So, when I print out the service, I a lot of times the district president will just say, "Oh, we got seven people here. We'll read seven of these." Yeah, actually, that'd be something good for the new vicar. Is how many of those do we have? Because that could take up a lot of episodes. Right, and that'd be one way to include the vicar, and you know, have him wrestle. maybe take take one of these, and yeah, and then the vicar can have a part. Yeah, we'll, we'll uh, maybe we can save that section then for you know for uh, for another episode because it could take us a long time to get through all of these. Right, exactly. But I, but I would say is I I'm not to me I don't like it when they say well we got seven for time's sake whatever let's just yeah you know I mean what else do you have to do. This is this is a great moment, right? A congregation is getting a, their own pastor. So it's like, well, which one do you take out? So I'm one who tends to like to, to hear as many of these as you can. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. Which is why one reason why for like for years I print it all out. Yep. So. <laughs> then then they can't be. <laughs> yeah. They yeah. can't be overlooked. <laughs> so then it it goes directly then to the questioning of the candidate. Mm-hmm. And we refer to them as ordination vows. So ex- explain that, Berg, what we mean by that, a vow. Because I think uh, we tend to minimize these some, Excuse me, sometimes because we, when you take a confirmation vow, mm-hmm. well, I mean— yeah, the, I mean, a vow is a promise. A vow is a promise that you are going to do something. Uh, and vows are important because— you are promising to do stuff. Um, and this this is true. This is why, like, uh, Jesus says things like, you know, don't make promises or vows. Don't swear by heaven or by earth or by Jerusalem or by your head, but rather let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything more comes from the evil one, right? Mm-hmm. Because silly vows, and we can find a lot of them in the Bible, um, cause lots of harm. And God hates silly vows. So can you guys think of any silly vows that were taken in the Bible? One that I think of is uh, Jephthah, right? When mm-hmm. he, the judge, when he promises, he vows to sacrifice the first thing that meets him 
after he comes back from winning a battle, if God will give him the victory. Mm-hmm. And then it's his daughter who comes out his only child. The other one, the other silly vow that gets made uh, is King Herod, uh, when Salome dances oh, before yeah. him, mm-hmm. right? And he promises to give her up to half his kingdom, and she asks for the head of John the Baptist. Right. Right? Silly vows are trouble. Silly mm-hmm. vows come from the devil. Now, there are vows or promises uh, that we should make. Like, for example, here in the ordination, uh, when you are entering into, well, really, basically, anytime you are entering into one of the estates that God has created, uh, you take vows. So, for example, um, when the president is sworn into office, mm-hmm. right, you make particular promises. Marriage. Marriage is another one. That's the domestic estate, right? And I would say that that even starts with engagement. Because mm-hmm. with engagement, you are making a promise that you're going to marry this person. That's why I think engagement is very, very important, and you should actually do a lot of this stuff, you know, like the um, a lot of the uh, premarital stuff even before you're engaged. Uh, and then finally, in the ecclesiastical estate, uh, the vows of, of pastors. Mm-hmm. But also, uh, if you make a vow to give something to the church. I mean, that's just as important, mm-hmm. right? I mean, because you're promising something. And and uh, I think we do sweep confirmation vows under the rug a lot. People think, oh... Confirmation vows are huge, um, but I'd even say tithing. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've promised 10%, you should give 10% because right. you made a promise. And, and vows are really made for your own good in the sense of, of because at, it's at a time after all this careful study and understanding of saying these things are good and right, your life is filled with temptation to get away from those things. Right. It's kind of like a vow is there to say, hey, I need to stay on this, this path because this is yep. what is best for me. Yep. I made a promise. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to keep my promise, and uh, and so so that that's why they're very important. So the vows mean something. So a lot of times, an example I've used as a circuit visitor before is when someone says, "Well, can the pastor just do this, or can't the pastor do that?" And I ask them, "How how many of you would feel very comfortable asking someone to break their marital vows?" And they would say, "I would never ask anyone to break their marital vows." but you want them to break the ordination vows. Right. Which is, yeah. So yeah, I mean, that's why these vows are so very important. And we should make vows Mm -hmm. in the church. You know, it's like David writes in the Psalms, I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem. Right? That, that, That points out another aspect of vows is that they're public. Right. In the presence of all... Right, in the presence of God's house, right? That all the people in the presence of Jerusalem, in the midst of her, you know, you will fulfill your vows. You have wedding vows so that people can attest that there are many witnesses to say, yes, you made this vow. Right, you have to keep to it. And another aspect of those vows then is everyone in the community has a vested interest in that. When people say, oh, marriage is just between the two of you, no, marriage is something that benefits everyone at that wedding. Right. It is the it is the building block 
just uh, just from a carnal perspective, marriage is the building block of all society. Um, and when that is torn apart, I mean, it's not just the couple who's hurt. It's everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like with a pastor. I mean, if he's making these vows, you as a congregation can trust that he is going to do what he promised to do. Just like he can trust you because you also make promises. Right. You also make a vow. In right. This. So so the presiding minister says, pastor, district president, dear brother in Christ, the Lord grant you that you receive and keep these words in your heart so that you may be strengthened and encouraged in your labor. He, God gathers his church by and around his holy gospel and thereby grants it growth and increase according to his good pleasure. That this may be done, he has established the office of the holy ministry into which you have been called by the church and now to be ordained and consecrated by prayer and the laying out of hands. To me, the most important part of that little paragraph is this. Uh, he, referring to God, has established the office of the holy ministry. Mm-hmm. Don't you think that's kind of the most important part of that statement? Because, you know, there, there. I think there is a constant struggle that, you know, the the ordination and the holy ministry is a man-made thing. Yeah. I, you know, because I've been reading some of the Protestants on this. Mm-hmm. You know, we've talked about them on the show before. And I, you know, I do, I, I actually like, you know, what is, you know, the first sentence is, what is the church, right? Why is all of this necessary, right? And it's kind of fun because they put the goal first, right? What Mm. is the goal of this? That people are gathered around the holy gospel, right? Mm -hmm. That the church is not some sort of synodical uh, bureaucracy. Um, You know, the pastor isn't the only one who can intermediate between you and God, right, like the Roman Catholics say, right? Mm -hmm. It's focused primarily on this personal and, yeah, this this personal aspect, right, that these people believe in Jesus and they gather around the gospel. And in order to facilitate that, in order to create that, God has established uh, the office of the Holy Ministry, which comes, which doesn't stand above the church, but actually comes through the church, Mm -hmm. right? which is a much different way than, like, for example, Roman Catholics believe. Because uh, I just had some conversations uh, with a couple Roman Catholics up uh, when I was gone at uh, Guy's Weekend, and the thing they kept saying was, uh, and I didn't catch it, I, I needed some time to think about it, but I didn't catch it. They're like, well, obviously Christ established a church. Well, what their definition of church is, is this 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 outward hierarchy a feudal system in a sense where it's not necessarily a king gives a story to his son by birth you know the priest the, the pope gives his authority through the priest through ordination right and that so in order to have church you need this outward structure it focuses so much on the outwardness of the church and it forgets that what is the church the church is the communion of saints the church are those people who have been born again by the Holy Spirit through preaching and through baptism, and that they gather around the gospel. Right. Right? Um, Which is why the Catholic can say, because there is this institution established by God, the church, the church doesn't even necessarily have to 
proclaim things that are in the Bible because... Yeah, the church is... Uh, God gave us the authority to speak on these things. We are mm-hmm. the, the Pope is the vicar of Christ. Right, the pillar of truth. Uh, and that's the thing. That's why apostolic succession is so very important to them, that they can trace back this lineage all the way back to Peter, because it's mm-hmm. it's that important. Whereas... It's, in a way, it's kind of like Fauci. Okay, you have to... Okay. Go on with that cuz I don't. Everyone has to everyone has to bow to Fauci because he is Mr. Science. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, in, in a sense, yeah. You know, there there's, there's a structure outside an, an unelected official <laughs> mm-hmm. who in a sense is dictating and then you have those well he's the pinnacle of truth. Mm-hmm. You know. Right. He has this authority. Uh, maybe I'm, I'm yeah no no thing. I yeah Is that following yeah and it'd be like uh, and there are others that fall into this sort of outward looking at the church too right that uh, Presbyterians right mm-hmm. in order to have the true church you need a particular form of church government like a presbytery or a congregational system or an episcop episcopacy mm-hmm. and even Lutherans fall into this sometimes too where they're like man wouldn't it just be great if we had bishops. And the thing is, is like, yeah, what happens when you have sucky bishops? <laughs> I, I mean, really, right? right? And so that's the thing is, that's why I actually really like that it starts with the goal here, right? That mm-hmm. the goal is, is God wants his sheep to hear his voice. And that's why we send a pastor through the church. As the, the vows continue then, it, it says, in the presence of this congregation— and before the Lord God, to whom you must give an account now and on the last day, I now ask you. Boy, those are heavy words. Yeah, those are scary words. Those are words that'll keep you up at night if you're a pastor, behind the collar moment. Amen to that. Oofta. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you you don't just give an account for yourself. Mm-hmm. You're giving an account for all of it. Right. So, f- listener, place behind the collar moment, place yourself in, 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 in the collar of a pastor, all right? So someone comes to the com- the communion rail, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're not sure as a whether they should be communing. Mm-hmm. And you're you are given these words, and we actually do think of these words, right, all the time. We think of the words in the presence of this congregation for the Lord God, to whom you must give an account now and at the last day. By in a communion situation, if if you know that the there might be a situation where maybe the pastor shouldn't be given communion, okay, that is a temptation mm-hmm. for the pastor to do something to which he has to give an account on the last day. Now, obviously, this doesn't nullify the gospel, but at the same time. Uh, you know, well, think think about it this way, right? If a doctor, you know, if a if someone came to to you as a doctor and mm-hmm. said, "Hey, you know what? I really need more painkillers, kill- right? I'm hurting. I'm doing this kind of stuff. You know, it hurts." And you know, as a doctor, that you shouldn't be giving them any more painkillers because they're going to get addicted. Mm-hmm. But you, you know, in order to make nice, you 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 uh, prescribe them anyway. What kind of punishments would you get from the board 
who review these kind of things if you got caught. Like if you were selling yeah. prescription drugs, right? It would be pretty bad, right? Mm-hmm. How much worse will it be on the final judgment when the Lord of heaven and earth will call, call you to account for not tending to his sheep, for giving them medicine when they shouldn't get medicine? Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, when we're not just talking about the body, but we're talking about the soul. How did you treat the sheep for which I died? Right. So, you know, this is a... <laughs> we don't do this stuff to make you angry. <laughs> you know, we don't do this stuff to, to you know, to uh, uh, get back at you or whatever. We do what we do because it's it's right. We do what we do because that's what the Bible says. We also do what we do to save our own souls. Mm-hmm. I mean, what... <laughs> yeah. I am, you know, I'm not going to go to hell for you. <laughs> you know, just so that way you can you can be happy in this life. Because then we would both be in hell. And then you'd be really pissed at me mm-hmm. for all eternity. So that wouldn't be very cool. Yeah, well, what's that in song? In fact, it would be kind of hot. What's that song? Uh, life is short and then you die. Was it? I, I don't know that song. Okay. Um, so then it continues, uh, um, do you acknowledge, so these are right into the vows now, do you acknowledge that the Lord has called you through his church into the ministry of word and sacrament? A couple things in this vow, and that is, um, acknowledge the Lord called him, not, not some red phone, Mm -hmm. you know. A mystical Batman phone that he that would be awesome, by the way. <laughs> but through the church, um, as the means, we the instrument, as you mentioned earlier, uh, into the ministry, and this is how the ministry is described as word and sacrament. Right. Why? Why is that important, Berg? Because that defines the essence of what we do. Um, At the heart and the central thing of what we do, everything. Everything falls under that heading, ultimately. And anything that is superfluous to that is just that, superfluous, right? We uh, don't—your pastor is not the administrator. Mm -hmm. Your pastor is not your therapist. You you know, I I think of this in this way. Um, When you look back at uh, the children of Israel uh, uh, after Mount Hor, and they're— they complain to Moses, uh, we hate this detestable food. Right. They're talking about manna, the bread from heaven, mm-hmm. that tastes like honey. <laughs> yeah. I think about that, right? And the, the reason why I maybe think about this is, is here God was feeding them. God was giving them what they needed, mm-hmm. but they didn't like how it tasted or... They were tired of the same old, same old. Well, and that kind of, you know, even though like the manna tasted sweet, right? It tasted like honey and coriander, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is where Solomon from Proverbs is is very important, right? That the soul that is full loatheth honey, loatheth and honeycomb. But to the one, you know, who is hung, but to the soul who is hungry, every bitter thing tasteth sweet, right? Mm-hmm. When you are full, you hate everything, even even good stuff. 
right? Even the gospel. So, so my, my point I was making mm-hmm. with that is, is uh, a lot of complaints that people might have about their pastor, first of all, realize your pastor's feeding you what you need. Mm-hmm. God is feeding you through your pastor and giving you, in that word, in the sacraments, what you need. Mm-hmm. Now, he may not always have the, past, the, the personality that, ever, that you may want or do certain things in the manner that you want. Yeah, that's like complaining that you don't like the color of the cup that uh, is bringing you water when you're dying of thirst. You usually don't care about that, but that's because, the truth. Because the thing about every pastor is different. Yeah. Every pastor has a different personality. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what may, what I like about our show is you and I are different personalities. Indeed. And the vicars have been different. Yeah, everyone has been different too. But at the same time, when you get to the heart of what we do and what we feed... It's all the same. It's all the same. And so, yes, your pastor at times may be different. You know, he may not have all sorts of different qualities. Some of his qualities might appeal to, because, you know, might appeal to some more than others. Just like every vicar will connect with some members more, and another vicar will, mm-hmm. will connect to other people more. It's just how it works out. Yep. But at the same time, to complain and to grumble that, okay, you're feeding us, but we're kind of tired of it or... Mm -hmm. And then those are the words of Moses and Aaron, right? Who are we? You're grumbling not against us. You're grumbling against God. Right. And so that's one thing that... uh, um, that is, I think, when I when I hear those words, do you uh, acknowledge that the Lord has called you through his church into the ministry of word and sacrament? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really, really important to acknowledge uh, and to think about. So the next uh, is pretty st- straightforward. Do you believe and confess the canonical books of the Old and New Testaments to be the inspired word of God and the only infallible rule of faith and practice? With the answer, yes, I believe and confess the canonical scriptures to be the inspired word of God and the only infallible rule of faith and practice. So uh, one thing that uh, there's, there's a question on the, the vicar evaluation that says, um, asks how basically how committed the student is to the Missouri Synod. And, and, I, and I, I say this with every vicar because I believe it to be true that uh, the vicar is committed to the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod as long as the Missouri Synod is committed to scriptures and the yep. Lutheran confessions. Amen. It's not a blind institution. You know. Yeah. This isn't the empire. We we don't walk lockstep that way. Because that that re- the reason I say that is is that that mind frame has devastated brought devastation to a lot of souls who belong to a once once to a certain degree faithful when it comes to mm-hmm. the word of god and they remained dedicated to the church body and when the church body went to heck then yeah yeah they they, they remained dedicated to the church body rather than to the word of god i met some guys like that at guys weekend you know a guy who still belongs to the elca for example and uh you know it it's sad because you know when i told him 
kind of what's going on in the ELCA. I mean, he was shocked and saddened by it. But when your commitment is to this organization and not to the Word of God, that's when you get into into trouble. Then you really are a sectarian. And for the listener, then, that, that can, I think that could give you insight into your pastor in this. Your pastor might talk about the teachings, and, uh, and sometimes people are off-put when he says things like, talks about other church bodies mm-hmm. um, and other preachers and, and, you know. But when he talks about that, it's not a blind obedience, because a lot of people think that as pastors we have blind obedience to the Missouri Synod. Not at all. If you've listened to this show, you know that this is, that, that isn't the case. Mm-hmm. Although we have a, a, great, uh, a great intro once in a while. We do. <laughs> <laughs> Running a long time, by the way. Okay. All right. Um, we should make this into a, a second episode then. All right. I think there's enough here to do two parts. Yeah, let's do two parts. All right. All right. Well, it's a good place to stop with uh, the scriptures. We'll continue on with uh, ordination part two or do two. two and a half. So thank, <laughs> thank you guys for listening. I'm Berg. I'm Bullhagen. And may your ordinations be through the church. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, on Twitter at clericalheirsp for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.